The most important thing is that having empathy for yourself, <laughs> right? Not beating yourself up when change is hard, not thinking if I was just something more, if I was just smarter or stronger or whatever, that I would be better at this. Get off the shoulds, acknowledge how hard it is for yourself and do what helps you that's positive or neutral, not something damaging that helps you to take care of yourself, that shows you being kind to yourself. And that is a really helpful way to get yourself through something hard and to get other people in your life through something. Hey, everybody, it's Maria here. Welcome to another edition of mom to mom the podcast. So the word of the day is resilient. <laughs> Today, we're talking about resilience and not like something I've given that much thought to. I consider myself a resilient person. I've had a few, shall we say, Hardy. hiccups in life that I've had to kind of fight through and have done so, I think, pretty well. But I didn't realize that resilience was so important and something that we could actually work at, like almost a, a muscle that we could build. And with back to school here and new routines and new responsibilities and so much change going on, you know, for us and for our kids, it seems like resilience could actually be a huge part of this puzzle. And to talk about this today, I have Dr. Deborah Gilboa. Now, she is a resilience expert. I didn't even know that was a thing. And she's the author of From Stressed to Resilient. And she's going to give us some no-nonsense strategies for coping with change coping with stress because stress is inevitable and living the life we want. And one of the things she's going to talk about is that any type of change in our life, be it good or bad, causes stress. And it's just a reaction that happens in our body. So we have to get the tools to deal with that stress. And she really has some for us today. So I really feel like this is something we can all use right now as we head into the new school year. So here is my chat on resilience with Dr. G. Dr. G, it's so good to see you again. It's wonderful to see you. Thanks for asking me. Of course. So you are a resilience expert. In fact, you've written the book. I see it right there from stressed to resilient. Now, some people at home might be going, what does a resilient expert do? What does that mean? So kind of set the scene for us. Resilience is this word that we use a lot. But it's what a friend of mine who's a language arts teacher calls a bucket word. We all have different things in the bucket. So the definition of resilience is often thought of as like, oh, getting through hard things. But it's not just that. The definition of resilience is more simple. It's the ability to navigate change and come through it the kind of person you want to be. Mm. Not just bad change, all change. Because even good stuff like a new baby that you've longed for, or a new job that you applied for, or a cool opportunity for someone in your family, all change is stressful to our brains. Yes. And that is something actually we've talked about on this show a whole lot, that change is such a stressful thing. Even the good change, even the wins are stressful because it rocks our routine. Anytime we kind of go you know, from one certain way to another, it can be stressful whether we realize it or not. So I feel like this conversation right now is so important because with the new school year here, routines are changed, worlds are rocked. So how can we go into this school year where we know things are gonna look different than they did over the summer and do it in a way that's not so chaotic? I think one of the things that's really valuable about this school year is, boy, two falls ago, we would have loved to come into a school year that looks like this school year is going to look. 
Yes. Nationally, you know, and not necessarily for any one child, but in general, we would have thought, oh, finally, it looks like, you know, if we had a crystal ball, it looks like things are back to normal. And yet our brains are still stressed. Even if you as a parent have been home longing for the structure of school to start and really wanting that time that you know your child is doing what they're supposed to be doing, but it's not necessarily with you the whole time. Why is that stressful? Especially if you've had several school years already with your kiddos. And it's because our brains say, well, hang on with all change. Hang on. Could it be dangerous? What could we lose? What shouldn't we trust? What will be uncomfortable? So the first thing I would encourage all parents to do this school year is to not be frustrated with themselves if they're feeling stressed about this. Not say, well, I, I should be grateful, or I've been saying how much I wanted school to start, or I should know how to do this already. No, no, no. Your brain doesn't think any of those things. It just thinks today we're okay and tomorrow looks different. So maybe tomorrow is scary. That's all. So start with empathy for yourself that yes, even a change you want, even a change you have practice with is hard. And there's nothing wrong with you that it's hard. I hear from a lot of moms in particular who put a lot of stress on themselves because they don't feel grateful at every moment of their life when they've got so much to be grateful for. And I put myself into this category too. But Me that's too. not a realistic expectation. It's right? not. And it's not how our brains work. Have you ever in the winter, Maria, put on a really cozy sweater and felt like, oh, that feels so good? Of course. And then after a minute or two, your brain stops attending to that feeling because it says, okay, that's normal. What do I need to pay attention to else that's going on? Gratitude is the same. We can be intentional. We can think, oh, what am I grateful for? Oh gosh, this and this and this, and it feels good and it feels right. But our brain won't hold that because our brain has a million functions, but one job. And that job is to keep us alive. It is paying attention to risk and threat and change not to what is familiar. We have to be really intentional to notice what's familiar. Right. And this is probably why they call it practicing gratitude. Right. Because it doesn't come natural because we get comfortable. So it's something we actually have to be. You just have to do it on purpose. Yeah. And I would say the same thing with going back to school this year. If you can do a couple of things on purpose. If you can say, okay, first of all, I am going to, when I start to get frustrated that this is stressful, I'm just going to have empathy. Be like, oh, right. This is actually hard. No big deal that it bothers me. And then I want you to consider just the possibility of saying, am I stressed about something that is useful or unavoidable or something I could walk away from? Okay. I'm going to give you a real life example because yes, please. here we are and this is free therapy and you're a doctor. So yay. You got it. <laughs> um, back to school time. So my daughter's room, I get into a very nesting state of mind. I didn't realize this about myself, but my husband says every year about this time, I do the same thing and I clean out the rooms and I want a fresh start. And I'm like, this year, I'm going to be the mom who knows what's going on. Like, this is the year I'm going to do this. This is my year. It's, this is my year. Spoiler alert, it never is, but you know, look I out, go, world. Yeah. <laughs> I want to start the year organized at least. So I'm doing this thing where I'm cleaning out my daughter's room. I spent one day last week and then, like, I want to say six hours yesterday with her going through a little bit of me, a little bit with her. And the whole time I was forgetting all this endorphin high of like, oh my gosh, this is so nice and clean and we're making so much progress and all the things that, that kind of fill my bucket. Mm hmm. 
But that night I was like, why am I feeling so yucky? Like, why am I? And it's because I couldn't take that win. I had to beat myself up about Maria. How did you let things get so out of hand? That room is such a disaster. It's like been almost two years since we've done a deep dive. Like, I didn't even know half the stuff she had in there. I'm like, this is like neglect to this room. What has been, what have you been doing? And I had to kind of talk myself off the ledge. And I feel like, and I bring this up because I feel like a lot of moms go through this same thing. You take a win and you somehow twist it around into something that like you've done wrong. Our brains pay more attention, chemically speaking, to negatives than positives. Mm -hmm. It's like we're Velcro to negatives and Teflon to positives. I like that. Why? And just as well to keep us alive, actually. Our brains in that same way that our brains are just trying to keep us alive. They don't really care if we're happy or not or feel confident or satisfied. Our brain is just trying to keep us alive. So it says, well, anything that creates a negative chemical response, I should really remember that and avoid it in the future. I should really pay attention to it. So it's really just it's it's really a protective mechanism, but since we're not running through the jungle and having to remember that that smell means tiger, so we should stay away from it, it's not as adaptive for our current lives. And so it is really important for people to remember that this is just, it's its your brain lying to you a little bit. And one of the things I would point out is that you just gave a really good example of a useless, avoidable stressor. Not the messy room. That is unavoidable. I have four kids. Un avoidable. Um, unless you duct tape your child to the wall, nothing else stays the same. <laughs> Which and we I don't recommend. recommend. That. Right. Can't recommend that mandated reporter. But when you think about what, well, what is she saying is avoidable and useless about that? It's the negative self-talk. You know what you did that led to two years of stuff building up? You focused on the moment you listened to what your daughter was excited about when she wanted to keep something. You didn't fuss about it. You didn't even go in there to start the argument with her. You lived your life, hopefully pretty aligned to your priorities because the whole point in being resilient is getting closer to the life that lines up with what's most important to you. I love that. Yeah. And overall, it was a good experience. And I was like, why are you doing this to yourself? You know, that was great. Um, One of the things I want to talk about, you say, don't trust your gut. And this is the opposite of what I've heard my entire life and the opposite of what I've told myself and my mantra. So please explain. Right. So apologies to everyone who is throwing something at their screen. Being like, what do you mean? Don't trust my gut. Here's what I mean. We have been told, oh, trust your instincts, go with your gut. But that thing I just mentioned about how our brains are just trying to keep us alive means good news. We're currently alive. Great. Bad news, our brains treat all change with suspicion. So we have three reflex reactions to change. Maria, when you brought your daughter when she was little for a well child check, and I would put her up, not that I'm her doctor, but if you brought her to me, I'd put her up on my table and we'd talk and I'd listen to my stethoscope and eventually I'd pull out my reflex hammer and I would tap her knee, right? And what would happen? Hopefully her knee would go. Right, she kicks, Yeah. yeah. So if I stood right in front of her and I tapped her knee and she kicked me, you probably would not say, oh, sweetie, don't kick the doctor. You would think, why did that doctor stand right in front of her? What did she think would happen, right? It's a reflex. Your daughter can't control it. If I tap the right spot, she will kick. Well, in that same way, when we hear about a change or even just the possibility of a change, our brain has three reflexes that we can't stop. What could I lose? Should I really trust this? And what's uncomfortable? 
Loss, distrust, and discomfort are these three reflex reactions that we will have even if what we found out is it's that amazing. we we won free toilet paper for a year. Yeah. It'll still like, be like, well, what could I catch? lose? Can I trust this? What's going to be uncomfortable about it? Will I have room to store it? Right. <laughs> All those. Even if you're also like, hey, that at the same time, as you might feel happy or excited or proud, your brain clicks through those three reflexes. And so if you just said, oh, my gut is telling me there's something wrong with this free toilet paper, I shouldn't accept it. No, thank you you'd kind of be doing yourself a disservice. So I don't want you to just take those negative feelings and know that it means it's bad. I want you to ask yourself, hang on, does that make sense? Okay, so Dr. G, I want to start talking about some strategies to build up our resilience. But I want to go back to one thing that you said before. Um, and you were saying that all change is very stressful for people and even good change. If you win something, you get a new job, so how does anyone move forward? How does anyone do anything? Why aren't we paralyzed at all times if change is this stressful? Because we have all been building change competency, the skills that help us navigate change our whole lives. If you can think back to having a toddler, they were super mad about change. I want macaroni and cheese every single meal from the same plate in the same position with the same music playing. And we slowly taught them, like, it turns out, let's do a taste test. It tastes the same on the blue plate as it did on the red plate. <laughs> you know, we have been teaching them to navigate little changes and then bigger changes and bigger changes. I just sent one of my kids off for his very first day of college a week ago. Big wow. changes. By now, way harder for me to navigate than for him uh, because he has been practicing navigating change for years. We actually showed up this weekend to surprise him at his university because it was his birthday. And one of his younger brothers is going off to a program this year and said to his brother who's at college and people walking by and saying, hi, he's like, you've only been here a few days. How did you make all these friends already? And my second son said, listen, we've been practicing being in new places and doing new things for years. You can do this. You know how to do this. And that's it. We take those experiences. And, and this is why the stress of change, although it feels awful a lot of the time, it's really good for us because just like exercise builds body fitness, stress and change build resilience and mental health. So you got to get those reps in. You do. And so much better to have a kid deal with the difficulty of a balloon flying away when they're four yeah. or the goldfish dying after you got it one day ago from the carnival, because that, even though it's hard and even though as parents, we want to be like, no, no balloons, because we all know they're either going to break or pop. Every balloon is disappointment on a string. We're not doing it. Oh, it is. Those balloons are really good practice for the bigger changes that kids will have to navigate when they're eight or it 12 or well. 20. Those balloon moments never end. Wait, well. I mean, I, I see a balloon maker and I'm like, go the other way. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. No, but it, it's a great point. And it also builds such confidence. If you know, I mean, I think that's what life is all about is building those experiences that create a confident person to be able to go in a room and not know anyone and then come out with a couple of friends or a friend, you know, then, and no one else can, teach you that except yourself. You need to know that that's something you can do. And then you move through life with those little experiences in your pocket. That's it. Maria, I want to point one thing out though. We have this narrative in our society that like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it has been my observation that what doesn't kill you often makes you miserable. It's mm -hmm. not only a question of going through hard things mm -hmm. because 
I'm not going to ask you who, but I bet you know somebody who just continually is going through hard things and it never gets any easier and they're always frustrated or oppressed or beaten down. So if just going through hard things was enough, nobody would be like that. Right. It's going through hard things with a little bit of intention. That's all, just a little bit of intention, not being the best person ever, always being optimistic, always smart. It's not that. It's going through it and then thinking both, okay, that was really hard and also... Did I get anything from that that'll help me in the future? Mm, absolutely. And I can't think of one thing that I haven't learned something from, right? You know, mm-hmm. even especially, especially the bad For things. Sure. So let's talk about some other ways that we can strengthen resilience. I know one of those things is empathy. So I really do want to say again, the most important thing is that having empathy for yourself, (laughs) right? Not beating yourself up when change is hard, not thinking if I was just something more, if I was just smarter or stronger or whatever, that I would be better at this. Get off the shoulds, acknowledge how hard it is for yourself and do what helps you that's positive or neutral, not something damaging that helps you to take care of yourself, that shows you being kind to yourself. And that is a really helpful way to get yourself through something hard and to get other people in your life through something hard. If your daughter were to come to you and say, all right, I had my first day of school. I'm with none of the people I like. I am with all the hardest teachers. And this year is going to be trash. (laughs) Inclination as a parent might be to be like, no, it isn't. Look at the bright side or we could fix it in this way. Stop yourself Mm. because 85% of teenagers And 90% of adults say that when they go to someone else with a problem, what they most want is empathy. So instead of trying to fix it or tell them why what they're feeling is wrong, which never feels good and never works, try instead saying, wow, that sounds hard. Yeah. I care about you. So I care about what you're going through. That's all. You're not saying, and I'm never going to help you fix it. And I'm never going to give you a different perspective. Just right in that moment, empathy helps people navigate change more easily. And this is another thing that's come up on this show a lot is we parents want to be fixers all the time because we don't want to. And we're really good at it. And things would be so much easier if we could just fix everything. But then we're not raising our kids to learn. So if your daughter had had a hard first day of school like that and you said, "Okay, I'll call school and I'll get them to put you with your friends and get you nicer teachers and all that. What your daughter learns from that is. I can't fix things, but my mom can. But my mom can. And what we want our kids to learn is both, I can navigate things that are less than ideal and I can start to learn how to fix things. And I imagine the better you are at listening to your child and the more empathetic that you are to your point, you'll know when it's time if you need to intervene because you'll know enough about the situation. Because there are times where truly you do have to get involved, right? That's 100% true. And we can't, we're not psychic. No matter how much we love these people, we're not psychic. We can't always know. But what you're looking for is not the details of every situation. What you're looking for is the ability to determine, is this uncomfortable, which is really hard, or is it unsafe? And then I get involved. Mm. Yeah. Big time. That's the line. And I really believe that in most situations, parents do between knowing this child really well and also gathering information, they know enough to know if it is uncomfortable or unsafe. And uncomfortable is really hard, but we should sit on our hands, show empathy, encourage them to try and fix it. Unsafe, which is like 2% of the time. 
But when it's truly unsafe, then we we teach them by modeling, not by waiting. Yeah, it's something as a culture we don't like to do, but feeling the feels is very, very valuable and important. So you talk about things that we can always control. There are three things we can always control. Our attitude towards something, our behavior, even when we don't want to, right? Like we want to act a fool or whatever the situation, but we can control it. We may not choose to, but we can. And then the third thing is our purpose. And what that, I mean, the goal. If I have to go to a family event and I got all kinds of feelings about the other people that are going to be there and what they might say and what they said to me last time or how this could go, I can cha- I can control my attitude towards it, my behaviors when I get there and the reason I'm there. So if I decide that my purpose is to navigate this and be the best daughter I can be, or show up and check the box, or find the one person I know who's going to be there, who's going through something hard that I want to give 10 minutes of my attention and then leave, as long as I decide beforehand the kind of person I want to be in that experience, I can navigate that change and be resilient. And whatever anybody else does, I can keep focusing on that purpose. Okay, so we've been talking about resiliency and we were talking a lot about change and stress. And we've been talking about like school stressors and kids and going back to school. And yeah, that's a certain type of stress. But then there's like actual stress where someone is sick, a loved one has passed away, um, war, politics, policy, some of these bigger things happening in our lives, a pandemic. Um, Obviously, not all stress is created equally. So how do you talk about resiliency when you look at it in that scope? Some people are really affected by change that they hear about happening to other people. They're so filled with empathy that it becomes sometimes paralyzing. There's so much suffering in the world. How can I go to the bank, right? (laughs) Like, how can I worry about what's for dinner? And In that situation, it's really important to ask yourself two questions. First of all, one is, okay, there are a lot of things I can't control, but how do I navigate the fact that I'm living in a society that is having a lot of financial awfulness, or there's a wildfire in a state where there are a lot of people I care about, but not my state. Okay, what kind of person do I want to be? Do I want to be the kind of person who's an activist and you know spends one day a week out there agitating in my community for the change I want to see? Am I the kind of person who wants to work an extra shift and take that money and donate it to the people I'm really worried about? Do I want to be the kind of person who's talking to my kids about it and we are putting together from around our house a care package of food that we're going to send? Who do I want to be in it? Not, oh my gosh, how can I fix the world? Because no one person can. But what is something that I actually could do that lines up with my values, that lines up with the kind of person I want to be? And then the second question is, how can I put a boundary around those feelings and that lived experience so that I can get to the bank and figure out what's for dinner? Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways to do that is to give yourself a set time amount of time and time in the day that you deal with that, that you either read the news about it, or you talk to a good friend about it, or you talk to your therapist about it, or you write in your journal about it, or you go online and watch YouTubers who speak to you about it, right? You know, whose whose content makes sense to you about it. And you put an end time on that. I will do that from 1230 to 130. And that's, that's the forest fire time. And everything else is the living my life with the people in my world kind of time. 
I like that. That's great advice. All right. We have Dr. G covered a lot today (laughs) from big to small to everything in between. So as always, I appreciate your time and your free therapy today. Um, Please let everyone know where they can find you and your book. Absolutely. The easiest thing actually is that I created a free tool online so that you can go in and tell me about a change you're navigating. And I'll give you a couple of strategies that might help. It's called stressed to resilient.com. All right, guys, that's a wrap for this episode of mom to mom, the podcast. So much great information there with Dr. G. I always love the free therapy that mom to mom provides for me, and I hope that you do too. Listen, if you are in the New England area, you can watch mom to mom the TV show. We're on at 11.30 a.m. on Mondays on NBC10 Boston. If you're liking what you hear, there are so many great episodes of mom to mom the podcast that you can find wherever you find your podcasts and binge and the whole thing. I do ask that if you like it to please give us, uh, what is it, five stars? I don't know, rate, review, the things they say. All I know is if you do that, this gets in more hands and ears of people who might need it. So thank you all for being here today and I will see you next week right here on mom to mom